Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Hey there, freedom seekers. Ever wonder about the hero that lives inside of you, ready to conquer the business world? Well, if you've been listening to our show for a while, then you know that we love exploring hero myths and using them to better understand our own heroic journeys. I wanted to make these stories even more actionable for you, so we built a way for you to uncover your business superpowers, avoid potential pitfalls, and see your entrepreneurial journey in a whole new light. Ready to discover your business owner hero type? Check out the show notes or head over to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash quiz to take our free quiz and learn which heroic energy you embody in your business. It only takes a few minutes and it's free. Your heroic journey awaits. Hey there, listener. As you may have heard, we are giving the Shift to Freedom podcast a facelift. You might be able to hear the drills, saws, and jackhammers in the background right now as we speak. But meanwhile, while we are doing that to focus on delivering ever more value for you, the personal development work does not have to stop around here. So um, we are polishing some of our previously used most valuable podcast episodes, the ones we've got the best feedback on, the ones that have been the most valuable for listeners in the past. And that is what we are presenting to you and curating to you today. So hope you enjoy the refresher course on some of the most valuable topics that we've ever talked about. Enjoy your listen and have a great one. Today, we are doing the part two of language to look out for or choosing empowering language or uh, choosing resourceful language. So, uh, Paige, last week we covered... Good, bad, right, wrong. Good, bad, right, wrong. Should, Should have to, must. Have to, got it. Yeah. Uh, and make and... me and pat another passive voice language. So great. Awesome. So if you haven't listened to that one, I would encourage you to go back and check that out. These are language patterns that can help you to feel more in control of your life, can help you to feel more empowered in your life. They're language that represents kind of the tip of a belief iceberg that once we um, we kind of get through these language patterns, we have a lot more possibility and choice in our existence. So what's on the list for today, Veggie? And by right, let's start secretly three minutes later, but well, it's a <laughs> so what do we have now? Okay, number four on our list of seven is I can't. I can't. Um, yeah, I I love noticing this to other people when they say this because uh, I can't is the kind of thing that we say that it kind of implies like a permanent state, which is not true. Because anything that you can't do in any moment, you ultimately at some point can. And so it's almost kind of like a half truth. Like it's true-ish, but not the whole truth. Or see, because there might be people saying, no, there are things that we can't do. And to that, I say, who knows? We don't actually know what's possible in the future. Like, really? I know the tendency to say something like there are actually things that we can't do with authority. But there was a time when somebody would have said that about flying. And 
And even now you might be saying, yeah, but flying without an airplane or flying without wings. And I'm like, shoot, I literally have no idea what is coming technologically. Like can't even possibly imagine. And neither can you really, if we're, <laughs> I mean, you, you can pretend that you know what's going to happen in the future, but really like it's something that it's obscured to us right now. And so because of that, we have only to operate on what we have right now in the moment, which is the ability to either prevent ourselves from seeing a possibility or to suspend disbelief and maybe see a possibility. So that's right. Yeah. It's really useful about noticing this particular language. Yeah. I love this one also because I think that just like you said, it relates to our capacity for exploring possibilities. And so I would love to hear from you because I think that you talk about this so beautifully, but I'd love to hear from you like the relationship between belief and possibilities and our potential for freedom. Well, I mean, our potential for freedom is our ability to do stuff, right? Really, that's what freedom is, is our ability to express ourselves in any way that we want to in the world. Right? Show up however we want to in the world, however we really deeply, truly want to from our like most authentic version of ourselves, right? And uh, the way that this word can't works is, again, we don't know whether or not it's true. Okay, it's whether I believe, and this is actually a famous Henry Ford quote, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. right? Because the thing is, what we're doing is we're actually like telling a story about the world. But if a story that we're telling is that something's not possible, then we're going to stop looking for how to do it. We're going to kind of put things to rest. So we'll, this will come up again in the I don't know language, but but. What we want to do if we want to be able to express as much freedom in the world as we possibly can is we want to leave our possibilities open. I can't think of any good reasons. I can't think of. See, I'm closing out possibilities even as I say it. <laughs> it turns out you just don't want to in this case. Yeah. I, I love advocating for freedom. It's true, actually. That is what's happening. So, so I've got, and by the way, that's that's how these things are probably working. Uh, a lot of times when we're saying can't, it's probably protecting us from something else that we don't want to experience. Like in this case, I don't want to think of any reasons why. Um, and so I'm not going to dedicate my mind's power to doing it, really. But as soon as I can't think of any reasons to use the word can't, but that was one that I just said. So the thing is, whenever we're using that word, we're closing down possibilities and it's usually in our best interest to keep possibilities open for ourselves. And so that's, that's can't yeah. in a nutshell. I want to notice one more thing about this phrase in particular is that I hear people use it in an instance where it is not untruth. And they'll say like, oh, I, I can't do that. I can't just walk up to somebody and ask them that question. I could never... And so, it, and this is just, a, it's just a really clear example of how when we use our language, it's not that we're noticing the world, it's that we're actually creating it by choosing that language. Yeah. And so it, it's not that you can't, because anybody with legs and a mouse could walk up to another person, like all of the tools and functional things that you need to complete that task. But when you say, I can't do it, you are cutting yourself off from that reality. And also, it's kind of an unresourceful lie that you're telling Especially if the whole reason that we're talking about you going up and talking to this person about whatever is because of something that you want on the other side of that conversation. And that's where a lot of these things actually exist. So especially being on the lookout for your beliefs like I can't as they stand in the way of something that you really want in your reality. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we say instead of IQs? And yet is one way to do it, because at least yet will help us to kind of hold space for the possibility that we could discover. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really nice one. Um, or I, I think actually what you just said is a really valuable one to just take a second and sit and try swapping it out. If you catch yourself saying, I can't do something, try swapping out. I won't. I'm unwilling to do that thing and see how it lands with you. I don't want to. Yeah, I, I don't want to. Yeah. And see how that lands for you, because that I, I think that'll feed back to you what you're really saying to yourself or you might find out that it's just not worth it to you to take whatever that action is. And that also is okay. But then look at how much power you have now. If you turn an, I can't do that thing into, I really don't want to do that thing. You've taken responsibility. You're now in charge of your life rather than some sort of external laws of the universe or something like that. Get in the way. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's do it. What's next? Okay. Number five on the list is I don't know. I don't know. So why don't we like to say, I don't know? My favorite way to talk about, I don't know, as unresourceful language is to talk about the brain as like a query machine. And if you ask it a question, it wants to return some kind of an answer. I also think that brains are kind of these really awesome energy saving machines. Like they want to find shortcuts and they want things to be easy for us. And so sometimes a really fast way for brain to keep us from having to exert too much energy is to just return the response i don't know mm. so that it's like oh well that that response fits the query we're done now so you're saying uh your brain is like google i think most people think of our brains as like being a source of information which is only partly true it's not really that that useful to think of our brain's capacity to be like a source of information it is instead much better at a source of answering questions. It's like a meaning making machine. It answers our questions. It finds what we're looking for is another way to say it. And I think this is a really useful thing to understand about the brain. It means if you want to brainstorm, most people think of like going into the room with a piece of blank paper or a whiteboard and then like nothing's on it. And then everybody just comes up with ideas out of their brain. Um, and it's actually, it turns out it's a lot more effective to do that if you have a big source of information from various different topics, various different textures and colors and sounds and flavors, things like that, to give your brain data to combine together, because that's what the brain is really effective at, is like making connections. So that's literally what the brain does, is it makes connections between neurons. Um, so all that is a very long way of saying the brain is very effective at answering questions. And so if we give the brain a question and then we return the answer, I don't know, the brain will stop querying the database. It's going to stop asking because it has returned an answer. And the answer is, I don't know. Right. So it's much more useful, I think, instead of saying, I don't know, if you catch yourself saying, I don't know, to a question, ask yourself the question again. And this time, just to sit in the space that happens when you haven't come to an answer yet and see what happens see what kinds of thoughts come up for you notice them i think this i don't know language also goes back to the good bad right wrong thing because it's like oh well i don't have the right answer so i'm just going to say i don't know and protect myself from being seen as being wrong and it's really useful to to query the database and find out what maybe could be an answer because even if you don't get an answer 
that answers the question, you might get a breadcrumb or a clue that helps you to answer the question more in the future. So really kind of fun, useful way to to think about reframing the I don't know. I was just thinking as you were talking about kind of my understanding of the subconscious brain. I'm studying hypnosis right now. And one of the things that they talk about is like welcoming somebody into a hypnotic state is essentially uh, the brain waves are the kinds of brain waves that are activated when or put your critic brain to sleep. And so doing something calming, like I don't know is the answer that comes up. It happens so often that people are like, oh, I don't know, and they get really frustrated. And so a recommendation could be to just take a second and like take a nice deep breath, look around the room and notice like everything's fine. There's no problem here. And just ask the question again. And see if you can kind of calm your nervous system enough to like let that critic bang take a backseat for a second and then see what comes up. Nice. I love that. And this is also reminding me of uh, one of the early kind of tricks that I learned in coaching, which is a client says, I don't know. You say, I understand that you don't know. If you did know, what would the answer be? <laughs> it's so funny how often that that question, that phrasing just gets people right to the answer. Right? And, and this, again, is I think it's got something to do with that good, bad, right, wrong thing. Like that there's like a right answer. There's something to be known. Because as soon as you say, like, I understand that you don't know. If you did, what would it be? Then it somehow frees you up from the worry about getting a wrong answer. I just think it's so yeah. So if you, listeners, if you catch somebody say, I don't know, to a question. Literally try that. It is so funny to watch somebody ha have just given you an I don't know answer. And then now suddenly magically surprise you with an answer once you rephrase the question like that. I understand that you don't know. If you did know, what would the answer be? So what do we say instead of I don't know? We ask our brain again and see yeah. what answers come out. We just ask the brain again. We just be quiet. Rather than supplying an I don't know, we just sit and listen. You could try instead of I don't know, you could try hmm, good question. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. Good, useful, whatever. That's a useful question. It's a good, useful <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah, because again, it's a short ending for for effective, for our end goal. Um, so what's yes. next? What do you have? Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. Mm -hmm. this one. Yeah. I think this one's a really interesting one. Uh, I think that there are probably cases where, as with all of these, there might be cases where there is some sort of resourceful or effective use of this kind of language. I'm trying what most of the time when somebody says I'm trying, what they're really meaning is I'm intending to not be able to do it right now. I'm planning to fail at whatever the thing is right now. Yeah. Because um, if I say I'm trying to throw this piece of paper in the garbage. If I believed I would do it, if I knew I could do it, I was just, I'm just going to throw it in the garbage. It's so simple. I just throw it. But exactly. when I say I'm trying, I'm, it's like, oh, I know that I'm going to not make it. Exactly. Like, I wouldn't say right now something that's very obviously possible for me. Like, I'm, I'm going to try to pick up my phone. That, that would not be the way that we would ever phrase that because there's not a doubt in my mind that I'm going to be able to pick up my phone. If I said I'm going to try to pick up my phone, you'd be like, well, what is it, behind bars or something? What do you mean? What about when somebody says, I'm trying to understand something or like trying to get something? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a, that's an interesting use case. I'm trying to understand. I, I still do think that it's doing a similar thing. It's almost like I don't know answer as well. It's like I'm saying I'm not getting it right now. 
That's essentially what I think that sentence is saying. Again, I don't think that there's like a rule about this one because trying does also mean making an attempt at something. Mm-hmm. But again, even when I say that, I'm thinking like I'm going to make an attempt at it and not succeed. So yeah. it is useful to to recognize that that is probably part of what the meaning of trying is, is that you aren't going to succeed at the thing when you're doing it. And so if that's how you want to be planning your experience, that's great. Like, I mean, practicing, you know, I'm going to give it a, the old college try to go pr- learn this new guitar song. As long as I'm not believing that I won't be able to learn it in the future or something like that, you know? So Yeah, I, I think for, I'm trying to understand. The reason I bring that up is because I think it sometimes can imply that Maybe it's unsurmountable and almost even denies progress because you've been trying to figure it out. It's like a state. Uh, but I think a more resourceful way of saying it is like, I'm learning. I'm figuring this out. I'm learning. I'm in the act of improvement. I'm not in the act of failing still. I'm eventually going to get there. Yeah. And you'll find, again, you can hear even in the way that we just heard Paige say this, that that sounded more useful just in the way that that was phrased. I'm developing my skill at this. I'm practicing this. I'm learning this. Like all those things are more resourceful than I'm trying. Yeah. It would would be great. Practice of being the kind of person who gives themselves credit regularly for their accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Saying I'm trying to is not a very effective way of giving credit of what we've been able to already accomplish. Yeah, it's a really nice point. What else do we got here? We got one more. It's the most recent we're being added to the list. Uh, actually, we have two more because it's in it. Okay, sorry. It is the price. Seven just went up to eight. It's exciting. Yeah. Okay, seven on the list is hard or difficult. Yeah, this hard or difficult is a statement for a lot of different kinds of words. They're opinion words. So I just want to notice that hard, difficult, even easy those are just opinions about things. Like, is it hard to dig a hole? Well, I don't know. It depends on your perspective or whether or not it's hard to dig a hole. And I want to catch that because if I say it's hard to dig a hole rather than it's fun to dig a hole, for instance, which is another opinion, I can just swap that opinion out. Now I've got a journey. I've got an arduous thing in front of me. I've got something that's hard in front of me. So it's useful for me to catch this kind of language. Like, oh, it's, it's really hard to, you know, develop that skill or it's really hard to whenever i mean pick pick the thing but what i hear often is it's hard to own a business like that's just a hard thing um, we all assume that it's hard as most businesses fail and it's so charged up with unresourceful language but i hear it so often yeah and it's like what does that what all does that mean people say you know like 90 percent or 95 percent of businesses fail but it's like well but you're not actually rolling dice with your business <laughs> like what do you mean well it's interesting too because that's actually the last word that we're gonna get to is failure so well uh i, I ruined the surprise but <laughs> it's useful so um so hard difficult um this is also it's kind of similar related to the good bad right wrong thing except they, these words sound less objective. written written in stone yeah less objective yeah Exactly. So be on the lookout for these opinion words, because when you're pulling out an opinion word, it's like you're coloring your experience with whatever that crayon is that just pulled out of the box. We picked hard and difficult, but, you know, smelly, lazy, happy. These are all just words that are opinions. Listen, folks, I am all for you lying to yourself. Okay. (laughs) To get me wrong, I lie to myself constantly. 
If you're going to lie to yourself, though, here's the kind that I would advocate for you. Lie to yourself in a way that is resourceful. Lie to yourself in a way that feels useful to you, that helps you get closer to your ends in the world. So if you're going to be telling a lie anyway, this thing's hard. Try telling the opposite lie. You know what? That's really easy. It's going to be really easy. Yeah, it's going to take me a few tries or it's going to take me a few repetitions. Or it's going to take me some practice. But man, it's really easy to do that practice. You just keep showing up and doing it over and over again. I was just thinking that as you were talking about this thing being hard and then I start thinking about all the blockages in the way and it doesn't feel very exciting to go and do that because it's going to be hard. It's not inspiring. But then as soon as I hear you say easy, they're like, oh yeah, like anything's easy. Like you just Start taking action, get some feedback from that action, take some more refined action. And if you keep doing that, eventually you'll get there. Like, it's really not that hard. It's super, it's, it's easy. It might take a while, but it's not hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, Marie Forleo has that phrase, it's figure outable. I love that. It's like mm-hmm. everything's figure outable, which is really great because you can, you know, that's so useful. Because like, look, cl- like climbing a mountain, okay? Climbing a mountain is hard. That is a way that somebody could describe climbing a mountain. Well, yeah, maybe. But I mean, it also could be really fun or it could be really playful. I love climbing a mountain. It's really like an enjoyable activity. People go and do it for recreation. So while it could be like seen as being really hard, it also could be seen as being really easy or really fun. Which version of the world do you want to see? And, you know, and by the way, again, it's it's about what you want to experience, right? Because maybe you actually really like doing hard things, okay? And so you want to see it as hard. Great. That's awesome. Like, n- no no challenge here. Just notice where, again, all of this language is to help you not limit your reality, not limit yourself from what you're, you're wanting to do in the world, to be free. Yeah, totally. Uh, I have another alternate to hard or difficult, familiar and unfamiliar. So and this is something Marissa Pierre uses in, in her coaching and hypnosis is at one point, like we say that like quitting smoking is hard, for example, or like getting in the habit of running or starting business or whatever. It, it, maybe it's hard, but what if it's just unfamiliar and we have just become habituated to a world that doesn't have not smoking in it, that doesn't have working out in it. And I love this language as an alternate because then it is the not a process of overcoming obstacles. It's just a process of like, how do I make this so that it makes sense to me? How do I make this so that it's familiar to me? How do I habituate this into my world? Which, man, is just like a really empowering way of thinking about getting something done. Like if you really, really want to quit smoking, great. Like what is it that is habitual about smoking? And now we can just like undo that, create something else and get you the results you want in your world. Totally. And I just to put this in a slightly different context, I think it's really useful, really like this language because it, we all, I think, understand the process of moving from like unfamiliar with something to familiar with something. And it just takes showing up at it again and again. And so like a lot of people would say it's really hard to start a business or it's really hard to run a business. And like as a many time business owner, I would say you probably just aren't familiar with it. Actually, it's not that hard. It really isn't. It's just there is a process. Absolutely. and. It's a series of steps and it's, you know, what I'm going to say, it's a lot of steps. I mean, even that is an opinion, a lot or a little, those are opinions. It's a number of steps. It's exactly the number of steps that it is. And it's, it's very straightforward. It's very clear. If you don't know how to see it right now, it's just probably because you aren't familiar with it yet. And so, you know, going about the journey of familiarizing yourself with something I think is really useful. Yeah. I love that word yet. That's such a good 
like caveat to any sentence of like, yeah. just it's such an easy way to advocate for possibilities. Exactly. I love that. That's exactly what it does. It just advocates for possibilities. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. Well, good. Good. Resourceful. Yeah. yeah, it's resourceful. It's useful. It's effective. Um, okay, let's talk about failure. Failure is such a useful one to talk about and to become aware of when you're using the language because failure has, I think, culturally, a very negative connotation and people don't want to be failures. People don't want to experience failure. And I think that this is a really tricky position to hold because everything that you want to be able to do, every skill that you have, that you could possibly have, okay, is necessarily on the other side of failure. Failure, I love this definition of failure. It's the absence of necessary or expected results. The absence of necessary or expected results. All that means is they're not there yet. <laughs> the thing about failure is it only works when you use the word. Like failure only does the thing that it is when you quit trying and you name something failure. Like that is how a failure happens in the world. Otherwise, you're just learning. You're just practicing. You're just working on the skill. You're just becoming familiar with the thing. It's really an important distinction to make. I think there are all these examples out there of, about like people's like books getting submitted to publishers and then like failing, quote unquote, 27 times for the Turtle the Turtle or whatever Dr. Seuss's first book was, was like 23 submissions or something like that. And then those two authors, Stephen King and Dr. Seuss, are like so prolific in the world. Like it's crazy how many books they've published, but it took them getting over these quote unquote failures to get there. So failure only happens when you name it. So there's a way to rework failure. And that is, it was an attempt that I learned from, or I'm not failing, I'm learning. Like the thing is, you can only fail when you stop. So if you're willing to keep trying at a thing, you haven't failed yet. That's, that's just, there's my soapbox for failure. Another thing to add to that is that it seems like one of the challenges, like using that word is the kind of word that we then create like identity meaning of ourselves about like, oh, I'm, I am I'm, a failure. I am a failure or like I'm going to fail and then I am this thing that is it, it carries some kind of a negative connotation which is unfortunate because it really doesn't need to it, it's not very resourceful to associate failure with something bad especially since like we have to make many many attempts that aren't successful before we get a successful attempt get to i think this is a great opportunity to talk about the baby it's your favorite failure metaphor yeah totally but i think it's, it's such clear and simple metaphor which is that you know Babies, when they're learning to walk, they fall over. That's not failing. It's just the process of learning to walk. Because a part of why we can't walk in the first place is because we literally don't have, we're not strong enough. We don't have the legs that we need to, in order to walk. And so if we fall over, what happens? We do a squat back up. And then we just did a rep, a squat rep. And do enough squat reps. And guess what? Your legs are going to get stronger. Get your legs strong enough and you will be able to walk, okay? So what I love about this example and why it's so clear, and by the way, this example is how we learn literally every single physical skill. It's just super clear with a baby learning to walk. But the reason that I love this metaphor so much is we don't learn to walk despite falling over, despite our quote-unquote failures. We actually actively learn to walk because we fell over and we did a squat rep to get back up. And that's how we got strong enough to walk. And that is what 
becoming familiar with something is. That's what learning business is. That's what learning language is. That's what learning math is. Every skill that you've ever learned, you went through a process of making mistakes so that you could understand how to not make mistakes anymore. That's what success, the formula for success is failed attempts plus one equals success. That's the formula. <laughs> you can map it. So I think it's a really useful model. Me too. Glad we included it. Awesome. Yeah, really great conversation. I think um, there's definitely more iterations of this in the future. There are other words like sorry and but that we didn't go into here that we could have. Um, that just help us to be more resourceful. And <laughs> if you have any other language or if you have any questions about this, reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram, I think would be the best way to ask questions about this podcast. So find us at lucid underscore shift underscore coaching on Instagram. And we would love to engage in the conversation. If any of this didn't land with you, if you have any questions, if you didn't buy any of it and you you know, want further explanation, it, it does all hang together. We might not have been able to explain it today, but um, hope that you enjoyed all of this. Paige, as always, thank you for the stimulating conversation and everybody else. Thanks for listening. Remember, live your freedom, love your life. Hey there, shifters. If you enjoy the podcast and you've been wanting to take your game to the next level, you might want to hear about our new program. We're calling it The Mindset Gym, and it's a virtual community where we take all the tips, tricks, and strategies, and we put them into practice. Ever notice how when you go to an exercise class, you always seem to push a little harder than when you work out on your own? Well, The Mindset Gym is like a group exercise class for your business. Imagine a community of badass business owners coming together a couple of times a month to work on their mindsets, strategies, and find some business besties. It's all about practicing together. Sound like something you might want to be a part of? Check out the link in the show notes or go to lucidshiftcoaching.com forward slash the dash mindset dash gym to learn more. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life. <laughs>